Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning again. I hope that you now feel a little bit more up to date as Cameron walked you through some of the happenings on here at first. Uh, Our team has been hard at work and will continue to be hard at work as we prepare to resume in-person gatherings, uh, God willing, uh, soon. And um, we just want to uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Wherever you are, again, uh, I encourage you to grab a Bible uh, if you have your cup of coffee all the power to you. Enjoy it as we uh, go ahead and we enter into the scriptures in just a few minutes. We'll be studying in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, but a couple of things before we get there. The first one is this. It, it seems crazy to think about this is Memorial Day weekend. It does not feel like Memorial Day weekend in the least because all our schedules have been thrown off. But I just want to say thank you to the many, many people who have served. And I know Memorial Day is a time where we honor those who have lost their lives on behalf of our country. But I also want to take this opportunity to just say thank you to those of you who have served our country faithfully. You, um, you are a blessing to many. Whether we see it, whether we realize it, maybe sometimes whether we say it, um, we, we trust that God has used you and will continue to use you for his glory as he did, as you served. May he do so even, even still today. Um, the other thing I wanted to just let you know, we are getting ready to finish up our Ruth Bible study. Uh, we, are, we are finishing Ruth, which is exciting. It's four chapters, so it's not super long, but it's a perfect time to finish Ruth because this is the, the season of Pentecost or Shavuot is the Hebrew uh, way to, to understand that season or the word for that season. And Ruth takes place right around this time. And so there's a lot of great tie-ins between the feast of Shavuot or Pentecost and the story of Ruth. So if you haven't uh, joined us the past couple weeks, you can join us still this week. We will jump into Ruth chapter four together at 12 o'clock on um, Wednesday afternoon uh, via Zoom. So let our office know if we uh, can get you that information for you to join us. Um, We are going to be studying a, a new kind of short mini-series uh, beginning this morning, this week and next week, that focuses upon the work of the Holy Spirit and what it means to covenant with God or for God to covenant with us. And I've entitled this message series, Saved for What? <laughs> Saved for what? You like the, uh, the, the pig there with the piggy bank? Yeah. When I was a kid, we didn't have a piggy bank. We had like this bus and it was of one of our favorite like musical groups. And so you'd put all your coins in there and then you'd shake it. And I could never get them out. But we're going to talk about why does salvation matter for us? What is salvation? What is, what is the big picture? And why does Pentecost, why does Shavuot, why does the Holy Spirit and the, and the Word of God matter for our life today? Um, and as we do that, I want to just ask you a question. How do you look at salvation? When I say the word salvation, what do you think of? Some of us uh, think of it immediately when we go to, well, we are saved from the punishment of our sin. We are saved from hell. We are saved from eternal punishment. Some of us look at salvation and we're like, oh, that, well, that's an add-on to life. You know, that's something I'm going to experience one day. It's a future hope. And, and all those things are components of salvation. You know, it is a future hope. It is something that we will experience in greater fullness one day. Uh, it is being saved from the punishment that, that our sin has brought to us. 
one of the ways to, to answer this question also, though, is to ask ourselves, how does salvation affect my life today? Salvation is, is not just a one-time thing. It encompasses many different things. And if we have a small picture of what salvation is, we'll, we'll really kind of misunderstand the breadth of what God wants to do in our spiritual lives. Um, I was able to take a class uh, through the seminary I am going to, Moody Theological Seminary. And um, one of the themes that we studied in this class over the last uh, few weeks was the idea or the doctrine of salvation. Salvation involves many different actions. Here are some really big theological words. You don't have to memorize these, but I just want to let you know. Scripture talks about election and repentance. It talks about regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. There's all these terms, and of course, people have differed on how they understand different components of these, but these are all biblical um, terms that have to do with the salvation process. Salvation is more or less a, a header over all of this that includes these things. See, salvation encompasses both a moment in time in which you perhaps uh, trusted in the work of the Messiah Jesus, his death and his resurrection for eternal life. But it doesn't include just that moment. It includes the sequence of time after that as God dwells in you, as he seeks to make you holy, as you seek him, as I seek him, and we, we behold his glory so that we might be changed. It, it includes the works he has called and equipped us to do in his name and for his glory. And yes, it even even includes one day when we dwell in a land and in a world where there is no sin and where we are able to walk and talk with God in the new Jerusalem. So salvation has, has both um, a specific understanding of being safe from sin, but it has an even greater perspective. And so when I ask save for what, we're not just talking about being justified before God or repenting of our sin um, or being adopted as God's sons and daughters. We're, we're talking about why does God have us here and why does it matter for us today? And this pairs so importantly with the Feast of Pentecost or Feast of Shavuot. Um, in salvation, Ephesians says this, we are brought near to God by the blood of the Messiah Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, we are built together for God to dwell in us. That's a paraphrase of Ephesians 2, a couple different verses there. But I want to focus on a couple things here. Number one, we're brought near by the blood of, of Christ, but we are also built together for God to dwell. And we're going to talk about this idea of dwelling today as we enter the text. Um, this past week, um, I was making breakfast, listening to something uh, on my phone, and uh, my son, my youngest son, who's three, comes up to me and he goes, hey, dad, can we read this book? And he loves to read in the morning, and my wife is super good about reading with him. I'm usually like up, going, focused on what's the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next thing? But um, my wife was out walking, and so I said, sure, let's, let's read. So I, I hit pause on breakfast for just a moment, and I read that children's classic. I, I literally love this book. It's called Me and My Dad. And it's a story of a little critter um, who uh, goes on his dad, goes on a camping trip with his dad, and um, everything goes wrong. You know, th there's, there's this that happens, this that happens. They think they're going to do this, they think they're going to do this, but it always changes because the circumstance changes. But the point of the book is this. He's with his dad. 
While a bunch of stuff happens, things don't occur as they may be hoped or planned. What really mattered is that he spent time with his dad. And I love that story because it reminds me, number one, as a parent and as a dad, how important is it for my life to invest in my kids? And I'm not always as good at that as I should be. But it reminds me even more how much our Father in Heaven wants to have relationship with us. And really how much we as His kids need and want to have relationship with Him. Too often we see our spiritual lives as a transaction that once complete, we just kind of go on with normal life. And so we separate the spiritual and the non-spiritual as though there is such a thing. But, but what God wants, God's intention for us has been to dwell with us. Why would he do that? Well, he would do that simply because he is a father and he delights in you, in me, his child. Now, the next two weeks, we're going to be studying this role of the Holy Spirit in the context of covenant. Um, but, but I don't want us to miss this big picture point for today. I believe God wants us to learn this. And, and this isn't a one thing that we can just academically learn. It's, it's a day-by-day living out type thing. And that's this. We are saved it, to live in relationship with God through the indwelling Spirit. We are saved to live in relationship with God through the indwelling spirit. So that's, we're going to be talking about relationship today. We're going to be talking about why it matters for our lives and, and how God wants to live and dwell in and through us in our everyday living. So with that said, um, there are several major feasts in scripture. Of these, there are three big pilgrim feasts that God calls Israel, his bride, to leave their home to gather in Jerusalem at the temple to celebrate. And uh, you find that in Exodus 34. These were part of their covenantal obligations before God. They were supposed to come up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem and to worship the Lord there uh, during uh, three specific feasts. The first one, occurs uh, in the spring, and it's the Feast of Pesach, or Passover. You might know that. That's kind of around the time when we celebrate resurrection, because that is the um, celebration of how God has redeemed his people. It goes back, of course, to the Exodus time, and we talked about this in the month of April. You can go back and check out our teachings there uh, if you'd like to, but it goes back to um, Exodus when God brings his people out of Egypt, and he, he passes over his people who had trusted in him, had slaughtered a, a lamb, had killed a lamb on God's command, and they'd put the door, uh, or they'd put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house, signifying their trust that God would pass over, that God would meet them where they are. About 50 days, uh, 49 days plus one day, scripture says, so 50 days after Passover, we have another major pilgrim feast where you'd go up to Jerusalem, and that is Shavuot, or Pentecost. Um, and then in the, in the fall, we have Sukkot. We won't talk about Sukkot today. That's for another day. Um, what we need to understand, though, is that with these first two pilgrim feasts, Passover and Pentecost, these two are essentially two sides of a very important coin. You can't have Passover and not have Pentecost. Equally, you cannot have Pentecost and not have Passover. Passover is all about redemption. In fact, uh, it is the paradigm 
um, exemplified by the, what the Messiah Jesus did on the cross. His death as the perfect Passover lamb has made um, salvation possible through the forgiveness of sin. As the prophet Isaiah says, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes or by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Redemption happens at Passover. But Passover is incomplete without Pentecost. We find that, and we'll look at this next week in a little more detail. But you find in the early part of Acts, um, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, in the latter part of the Gospels, first part of Acts, he says, don't, don't go anywhere. There's a day coming when I'm going to send my spirit. And that happens at Shavuot or Pentecost. These two are put together. Why does God redeem? What purpose does he have for his people? Another way you could look at it here is, is even in the context of the Exodus narrative. In Exodus chapter 4, um, uh, God tells Moses to say to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go that they might serve or worship me. Now, the idea of serve or worship here, that, that's in the context of, of both recognizing who God is and what he has done, but it's also in the context of relationship. Because if you follow the story of Exodus, and you come to Exodus 19 and 20, where the 10 uh, words or the 10 commandments are given to Israel, the context of those teachings is a marriage. It, the context of those teachings is, is, is a wedding. It's, it's a deepening of relationship between God and his people. Um, and God engages with this relationship through this big word, covenant. Covenant. Covenant is all about relationship. We see this in the scripture. We see God covenants with Noah. God covenants with Abraham. He comes down. He talks to him. He talks to Isaac and Jacob. He, he interacts in their life. Even after the Mosaic covenant, God comes and he, he dwells in their midst. You've got the whole pillar of fire and the cloud, and then they set up a tabernacle, and then there's a temple and all these things. God's movement in the scriptures always longing to dwell with his people. Because he loves them. He delights in them. So if you have uh, your Bible, uh, that's kind of your preview there. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 is a very important passage that talks about covenant, relationship, how God engages with his people. And it's a, it's a very uh, important text within the scriptures. Um, while you're turning to Jeremiah 31, uh, just a brief background on Jeremiah so that you kind of know where he's coming from. Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Judah prior to Judah's departure into exile. So you have the great kings. You have David, you have Solomon, uh, where they're all a united kingdom. Shortly after Solomon um, died, uh, the kingdom begins to fracture. There are kings who choose not to follow the Lord. And, and the kingdom begins to crack. Uh, in 722, the northern ten tribes, which are called Israel, um, are taken off into captivity. Um, now, Israel went more wicked more quickly than Judah did. Judah waits till 586 for the, for the remaining of them to go off into exile. And we find Jeremiah's prophetic writing during the time when Israel, the 10 northern tribes, are already in exile, but Judah is not yet in exile. And so he's prophesying to Judah. And get this job description that Jeremiah has. Um, 
His job description from the Lord, we find in chapter 1, verse 10, it's to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to demolish, to build, and to plant. Simply put, he had a really challenging ministry because he's constantly, constantly, constantly speaking judgment, speaking words that that tell God's people, turn back, don't do this. You're sinning against God. Return to the Lord. But the people simply would not listen to him. Um, Judah was incredibly wicked. They, they, they grew that way more and more. They, they had forsaken the Lord. They had oppressed the poor. They had engaged in idolatry and they had forsaken the covenant with their God, just like the northern 10 tribes have. But in the midst of this really challenging time, there is hope. There, there's hope. Why is there hope? Well, um, one of the great passages of hope, it's actually called the Book of Consolation within Jeremiah's prophecy, is found in Jeremiah 30 through 33. And it's known as the Book of Consolation. And, and it occurs just prior to Judah's exile in Babylon. And so I want you to imagine for a moment, you are of the tribe of Judah. You're among uh, the few that, of God's people that still remain in the land. You've seen your brothers and, the, and sisters in the northern ten tribes taken off into exile uh, for judgment because of their sin. You are awaiting a similar fate because of your sin. And in the midst of judgment, you get this promise of hope. And that's what Jeremiah 30 through 33 is. And we find Jeremiah 31 smack dab in the, in the thick of all of it. See, hope is not lost with God. Even though people have forgotten God, God has not forgotten them. Even though people have broken their relationship with God, God is going to be so incredibly faithful above and beyond what they could even imagine. And so, if you have your text with you, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34 is what we're going to look at for our time remaining. Behold, or look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I had married them. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word as we spend a few minutes talking about the idea of covenant and how you engage with people. God, help us to see how you long to engage with us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, big word, covenants. It's a big theological word. We can define it this way. Uh, A covenant is an agreement between two or more parties in which obligations are placed on one or both. Okay, in the ancient Near East, there are different um, types of covenants. And usually you'll find the phrase in Hebrew to cut a covenant because a lot of times covenants were cut uh, much like the story of Abraham in Genesis where, where he takes animals and he literally cuts them in half. And yet it's God who walks through and takes ownership of that covenant. We, we find covenants all over the scripture 
Um, but we find three primary covenants in the ancient Near East, uh, according to one scholar. We have, and I hope you like my seesaw here, um, we have a treaty. And in this type of covenant, in a treaty covenant, we have the weak party who takes upon all the weight of that covenant or all the responsibility of that covenant. And we have a strong party who doesn't assume any of it. So you can find, for example, an example of that in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Um, There's another type of covenant, and that's a contract covenant. A contract covenant is where both sides have equal power and they have obligations. So you find that between, for instance, Jacob and Laban. I think it's Genesis 29 where that happens. Um, Another type of covenant that you find is a grant covenant. And here we have, again, our lovely seesaw, uh, but we have the weak party who does not have the brunt of the obligations, but the strong party or the, the powerful party has the obligations to fulfill this covenant. And it's this covenant that comes into play here. Um, the Mosaic covenant was one where God says, uh, let, let us covenant together. And he lays out the, the teaching of what they're going to covenant. And uh, Israel says to God, they say, we will do, we will hear. They, they, they take upon themselves um, ownership for living out this covenant. But what we have in Jeremiah 31 is a bunch of statements where God says, I will, I will, I will. And he, as the strong party, much like he does with Abraham, he takes upon himself the responsibility or the obligations of fulfilling this covenant. So what are we talking about with regard to this covenant? We're talking about a couple of things. In um, this new covenant, we have a covenant that is primarily made with Israel and Judah. Uh, notice with me, please, in verse 31. The days are coming when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Um, this will, verse 32, this will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand. Uh, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, verse 33. So you have God addressing this covenant primarily to Israel. And he's actually foretelling a time in which he will bring both the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes, and they will come back together, and God will fulfill his covenant to them. So it's made with uh, Israel and Judah, or united Israel. Now, it's often referred to as the new covenant. The word new here can be translated either new or renewed. It really goes grammatically both ways. And I like how one scholar says this. He says it can mean both a brand new and a renewal of the old. And so there are some similar um, things to it, but it's not the same covenant that he made with their forefathers. Um, um, one scholar says it is new in time or renewed in nature, which is contrasting to the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, and it refers to a relationship between God and his people. I, I mentioned briefly a minute ago that Exodus 19 describes a wedding. Um, a wedding. Weddings are fantastic celebrations. In fact, I have the privilege of being able to officiate in a small wedding next, uh, well, it'd be six days from now, next Saturday. I, I get to officiate the wedding of two of my dear friends, and I'm, and I'm very much looking forward to it, because as God has been working in them, they continue to grow together and grow together and grow together. But at this wedding, there's covenant um, there's covenant promises that are made. And 
a wedding is essentially like signing, sealing, and delivering upon. Uh, we are in this for life. We are in this no matter what. You know, that's the context of the wedding vows. Um, in Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8, you can go read it um, some, sometime later today, is a wedding passage. It describes the covenantal commitments that God and Israel make that are likened to marriage. God desires relationship with Israel, and he initiates this covenant. And in Exodus 19, 8, Israel says these words in response to God's proposal, if you will. They say, we will do we will hear, we will shema, we will obey. So, primarily made with new, with uh, united Israel, Israel and Judah, new or renewed, new in time, renewed in nature, and it refers to a relationship between God and his people, much like a covenant. Um, what is this covenant based upon? Well, the former covenant is is based upon that covenantal understanding more of more of that 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 contract there, there's some degree of equal power we we have a responsibility israel israel says to do this we will hear we will do what is different about this one because there's clearly something different that is changing here and it comes down to these phrases i will put i will be and i will forgive See, this new covenant is going to be based upon God's faithfulness and provision for his people. And so he says, in the scripture, he says, I will put my teaching within them and I will write it on their hearts. Now, was the teaching bad? No, no the teaching wasn't bad. God, God's word is holy, righteous, and good. The teaching wasn't bad, but the ability for his people to live it out was insufficient. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And he says, I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. See, the problem with the Mosaic Covenant is that they were unable to fulfill these demands, these prescriptions that God and they had made in their own power. And so God gives them these I will statements, essentially taking responsibility for, here's how you are going to be able to live out of my teaching, out of my word. I will put it in you. No longer is it going to be written on tablets of stone. Rather, it's going to be written upon your heart. Think for a moment how encouraging this message would be. You're getting ready to go to exile. You're going a long way away from home. And God says, I'm going to bring you back. And guess what? It will happen. Here's what I will do. Not, not just to give you a new law or not just, not just to make a new relationship with you, but rather to give you the ability to engage into the relationship that we should have as a bride and a bridegroom. Think about how encouraging this message would be. See, God has not forgotten his people, even though they have forgotten him. He is faithful, even when his people are faithless. So, so how will God bring these things about? Well, notice here, um, he will put the teaching within them and write it on their hearts. Also, I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. There's something incredibly powerful that Jesus does in the Last Supper, is what we often call it. It's the Passover Seder right before he goes to the cross. He says in Luke chapter 22, records this, he says, taking the cup, the cup that represents Christ's um, blood poured out for the sins of the world. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. 
And in the context of the Passover celebration, it's the cup of redemption. See, Jesus is about to go and he's about to die. He's about to become the substitute for our sin. And it's through him that they would find forgiveness. That their wrongdoing would be um, not looked at by God and, and that God would never again remember their sin. God brings this about through his son, No longer will the covenant be written on stone. It it will involve a heart transplant that God will do. What is God's purpose with this covenant, though? Look with me briefly at verse 34. It says, No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. See, see, Within this promise and within this covenant that God is making, there's this desire for him, uh, or he has this desire to know his people. Now, the word here in Hebrew, it's the word yada, and it's a, it's a very powerful word. It's used uh, multiple times in the scripture. It's used 73 times in the book of Jeremiah, and it involves personal, intimate knowledge much like you would receive upon your wedding day when a bride and a groom say, I do, and they begin their new life together. It has, it has the connotation of intimacy. It has the con- connotation of personally knowing in a way unlike how anyone else knows that person. Knowing God is only made possible by God's redemptive initiative through the Messiah. But knowing God begins this work of salvation in in the Messiah Jesus, but it continues through a work that the Holy Spirit um, engages with within our lives. We won't turn there, but Romans chapter 8 talks about how the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of this work of salvation. He, he's one who, who seals within us that we are God's children. One who begins the process and continues the process of this transformation of the heart. See, a lot of us spend our lives trying to be better trying to be good, trying to obey this. And did I check off this box and check off this box? And we look for um, commendation or we look for, yes, I know God because I did this. God wants to know you personally. Would you just let that sink in for a moment? Because so much of my life, and I suspect maybe so much of your life is spent pursuing a lot of knowledge or pursuing a lot of stuff, but it's sometimes devoid of actually knowing God, hearing his voice, trusting his heart, asking him in the midst of the struggles and trials and circumstances that we face, God, be sufficient for my life today. God, may your kingdom come in my life. May your will be done. May my heart desire to give you honor and praise. And see, this happens all the time. Marriage, parenting, um, work, even the struggles we face now. It's so easy for us to set God aside and think that we're just going to go ahead and begin down this path where, um, where we walk essentially on our own. See, God wants to dwell with us. And that's the power of Pentecost. 
That's the power of Shavuot. Jesus tells his disciples, wait there. I am sending my spirit because he knows without the spirit, their ministry is going to be incredibly unfruitful. It's one thing to do good things. It's another thing to do good things in the power and the provision of God. How do you live and move? What, what describes your life today? Do you walk in your own strength? Do you walk in your own flesh? Or do you walk by the Spirit? Now, I I mentioned Jeremiah 31 speaks to primarily Israel and Judah. But as Gentiles, and I'm just assuming that many of us listening to this are Gentiles, we might have some Jewish believers tuning in. For Gentiles, we have been grafted in to the family. Of God. In fact, this goes back to a promise that God gave Abraham and a, a, a purpose that God gave Abraham way back in Genesis. He says, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth through you. What is the greatest blessing we could receive through Abraham and his descendants? Life in the Messiah. And God has given us life through his son, and we are adopted into his family as Gentile followers of Jesus our Messiah. When, when Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood, it was, it was a sacrifice that would be poured out and be enacted for all people. We enter into covenant with God through the Messiah's death and resurrection. And his death brings the possibility for the Holy One to dwell with people, giving them life in the Holy Spirit. Now, what I love about this, and we won't go too far into this, but as you read later today and you want to finish reading verses 35 of Jeremiah 31 all the way to the ending, you'll find that God makes certain promises to Israel. And um, he promises them uh, by like really strong language. For example, 36, if this fixed order departs from my presence, this is the Lord's declaration, then also Israel's descendants will cease to be a nation before me forever. This is what the Lord says, verse 37, if the heavens above can be measured and the fountains of the earth below explored, um, I will reject all of Israel's descendants because of what they have done. He, he says, look, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when the city from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate will be rebuilt for the Lord. A measuring line will once again stretch out straight to the hill of Gerev and then turn toward Goa. The whole valley, the corpses, the ashes, the fields, as far as the Kidron Valley, to the corner of the horse gate to the east, they will be holy to the Lord. It will never be uprooted or demolished again. And he's talking there about the city of Israel or the city of Jerusalem within Israel. He's saying there's coming a day when all of these posts are going to be set back up. And they will never be uprooted or demolished again. So for people who are awaiting exile, who are awaiting an incoming army to essentially tear down all they had built, they're being promised there's a day coming when you better believe it, God is going to be faithful to his word. We have that same hope of our redemption and our salvation today. And I just want to ask us a couple questions as we begin to close here. Um, number one, do you know God? Do you know God? And on the front end of that is this idea, have you experienced the redemption that comes only through the Messiah, Jesus? But also inherent in that is, are you growing in a knowledge of God? 
See, to, to know God is not a one and done. It's not something that, that you just, um, you experience it once and that's all you get. The fullness of God is something that none of us can fully handle. It's something that God reveals to us more and more as we relate with him, much like a marriage. Um, I, I knew my wife when we got married. I knew who she was. We dated five and a half years. I knew her. But in the time since we got married, we have grown more in knowledge and in intimacy with one another. And that's what God wants for his people and him to experience. Are you growing in knowing God? Let me ask you this, really pointed. Um, What is one area of your life that God is seemingly not a part of? Do you have an area of your life where you say, well, this is what I do over here, and God and his word and his heart for you doesn't really touch it? Where is that? When you find that, and believe me, I have my own areas, areas, <laughs> plural there, of where that happens. Here's what we do. We yield that area to the Holy Spirit. We say, God, I, I don't walk with you here. I don't walk with you the way I should here. God, I still have anger and jealousy and pride. I still have all these fruits that come from my old flesh, my old way of life. Yield those to God. Say, God, may my marriage be something which sanctifies your name. God, may, may my honesty at my workplace be something which sanctifies your name. God, may I have a heart for people far from you. And may that heart be something that sanctifies and glorifies your name. What's the one area or more in your life that God is not a part of? Yield that to the Holy Spirit and ask him to teach you what it means to love him and to walk with him today. See, we're saved not just to put stuff into the bank. We're saved to actually allow the life of Christ to live out of us. To, to, to have hearts and minds that, that aren't stagnant, but that are constantly growing by his grace. I don't care what age you are. If you're 100, if you're 50, if you're 25, if you're 15, if you're six, if you're three, you can seek to know God today by asking him, God, teach me what it means to love you. Moms and dads, grandparents, husbands and wives, friends, you can come alongside others and say, hey, how are you knowing God today? How can I help you know him better? It all begins with scripture. It all begins with prayer. It all begins with the yielding of our life for his purposes. See, we're saved to live in relationship with God because he wants to have a relationship where what matters most is me and my dad. And us together as God's family, we gather and we walk with the one who's given us life and hope. Let's pray together. Our Father and our King, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you have not left us as orphans. In fact, God, you dwell within us. We have been grafted into your family by faith. Faith in the truth that Jesus died and he rose again for our, for our, 
our, our sins, to pay for our sins. And yet, God, you don't want to just leave us there in that initial component of understanding salvation and experiencing forgiveness. God, you want us to grow in faith. You want us to grow in knowledge. You want us to grow in relationship with you. And I pray that for our hearts today. Lord, show us the areas in our life where they are not wholly submitted to you. God, give us the grace and the courage to walk, to walk hand in hand with you this day, to allow the heart and the thoughts and the mind of Christ to become that which is more and more our default. God, to allow your spirit to speak and and for us to have ears to listen to your voice. Lord, crowd out the noise the absolute noise that surrounds us and keeps us from hearing you. Lord, forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of the ways in which we have sought our own ends or we have sought our own gods instead of seeking you. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. We, we know, God, that this is a process. Help us to not become discouraged in the process, but to trust you in your perfect timing. This day and the next. We bless you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. If there's any way we can serve you as a church, we would love to be able to do that. We thank you. I thank you for joining us this morning. We pray that this has been an encouragement to your spiritual walk. Next week, we're going to look a little bit more in depth at uh, Shavuot, uh, Pentecost, and talk a little bit more about that because that whole celebration in the biblical calendar actually occurs this week. So it's perfect time for us to do that. So we'll look at that. And then um, for the summer, here's just kind of a preview of where we're headed. We are going to be spending several weeks, the, the entire summer, looking at the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent begin in Psalm 120, and they go, I believe it's to 134. And um, they are Psalms of going up to meet the Lord. And they're all different in their own, re- in their own respect. But what I love about them is they are Psalms that help teach us what it means to follow God. And so we invite you back for that each week, uh, wherever you are at, uh, as, as we move closer to uh, being able to gather in person, we are going to be keeping this live stream uh, going and improving it in, in many ways. And so uh, we appreciate you joining us wherever you are at. Um, may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you this week. May you walk with your Savior, hand in hand. May, may you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, to guide you, and to make you more like Christ. Blessings to you this day. Have a fantastic week. Mm-hmm.